Hello, it's Marcus Kauke from the Inquisitor podcast, and I'm delighted to have my regular guest, Jay McBain, from Forrester, lead analyst in the channel. Jay, today we'd like to talk about the Shadow Channel. What is it? The Shadow Channel, uh, just to take a step back, I named it that. It was a little bit controversial, naming it Shadows. People thought that it was you know, somewhat dark and somewhat back alley type of term, but it was actually a homage that I paid to Shadow IT from about 10 years ago. That was when line of business executives started to buy software, mostly in the cloud, and started doing that without IT's permission or even with their knowledge. It used to be this thing that CIOs wanted to stamp out. It was also called Rogue IT back then, but I didn't want to call it the Rogue channel. But shadow IT is now the new normal. 65% of all tech decisions are made by line of business executives. It's probably going to be 80% you know, in a few years. This is the new normal. So what's happened over that time, though, is a whole new channel has been created that really supports this line of business executive, really supports what they're trying to do from a technology perspective to transform their business. And it's really brought in and we're going to talk later about specifics, but it's brought in literally millions of companies around the world that are now tech services companies that support these shadow IT or line of business executives. And this is broader what I call the shadow channel, which will become the new normal, just like shadow IT has. You're talking about millions of companies. What sort of companies are they? Probably dozens of different types. I think I've counted over 20 different types, but I've broken it into major categories. One of the pieces of explosive growth has been in, for example, ecosystem partners around the cloud. You know, I look at the infrastructure layer. I think AWS now has 120,000 partners. That's doubled every year for three years. You know, when I started looking at this a couple of years ago, they had 30,000 partners. Google is seeing extreme growth. Microsoft is bringing on 7,500 new partners a month. 80% of those are shadow channels. They don't resell and they're very focused either on Dynamics as an application, they're focused on Azure as the cloud. These are not traditional Office 365 or Microsoft 365 type of partners. In the SaaS area, you know, I look at Salesforce, which just announced that they need to recruit 250,000 new partners to double their business in the next four years. That's a size and scale of channel that, that we've never seen before. What's interesting, at the same time they made that announcement, they also announced that they're shutting down Resell. So 100% of those partners, the 250,000, are not resellers. They're going to come non-transacting shadow channels or new types of channels that are really going to drive Salesforce earlier in the conversation with buyers and then later in the conversation with renewing and retaining and upselling these customers. So. Less focused on the transaction, way more focused on the other parts of the buying journey. So they're involved in the lead generation and the opportunity identification and then in renewal, but they don't get involved in the transaction. Yeah. So here's what we're calling you know, the marketplace trend that over the next three and five years is going to have a monumental impact on the channel. So at Forrester, we're predicting 17% of all B2B transactions in four years, will go via e-commerce, web direct, marketplace. So here's the deal. So Salesforce comes out to the market and says, hey, we need 250,000 partners. 
we know that for every dollar we sell, $4.14 goes to the channel. So they list off what those opportunities are. You can sell software. The average Salesforce buyer will buy six other things on the app exchange. They also will need to get it installed, implemented, integrated, secured, compliant, business continuity. They list off 17 other tech services as well. All of those are somewhere between 40 and 75% margins. So why would you ever want to resell and collect money and do all that interchange at 20% margin when you could be over there working for 75? By the way, those services have a six-month demand behind them. You're not going to be able to hire quick enough and certify enough Salesforce people in your company to be able to handle that demand. So let's send the customer to where they want to go. Based on Forrester research, 73% of these line of business or shadow IT buyers want to buy from a marketplace or some sort of e-commerce direct. They don't want the middleman, the single bill, Larry in the white van collecting money. It doesn't make sense to them in, the, in this world. And they're actually today more apt not just to buy software, but to actually buy hardware, internet of things, and even plug-in services all in a marketplace. So it's a huge shift in terms of what we're seeing. It makes sense for the customer, at least 73% of them. It makes sense for the vendor. And for any partner out there, it's a low margin game trying to play the reset. So who's going to actually do the implementation if the, the shadow channel is not involved? Well, the shadow channel is the implementation partner, the integration partner. These are the partners that downstream are earning that $4.14 for every dollar that Salesforce sells of their product. So if I understand you correctly, your accountant is suddenly going to be implementing your cybersecurity? That's what's happening today. So we mentioned accountants as one of the industry-based shadow channels. It could be a digital agency if it's a marketing buyer. It could be a legal company. It could be an architect. You know, there's 27 different industries. Every company in every industry is becoming a technology company which is forcing every one of their services companies and consulting firms to also becoming technology. It's interesting, the buyers themselves, the shadow IT people, the line of business executives are now spending 51% of their time on technology. So the world is coming in. And what we used to have is, you know, a nice little gate around our 600,000 technology service providers that we called the channel is now exploding to involve millions and millions of companies. Your example of accountants, there's 150,000 of those and CPA firms in the US alone. It's almost the size as the technology channel at 162,000. 81% of accountants are doing tech services. So yes, they're doing cybersecurity. So on a side note then, is the technology being dumbed down so that non-IT people can implement it? Or are they recruiting technical people from the channel and from uh, the traditional channel in order to be able to make those implementations successful? Yeah, we're seeing both. And by the way, the cloud has been a huge enabler for anyone to get into technology. You don't have to run wires. You don't have to get into server rooms. You don't have to understand architecture and infrastructure. You know, in many cases, you have your accounting or financial knowledge, or you have your digital agency or or marketing knowledge, and you can come in and plug in the dots. 
The second thing we've seen is an explosion of no-code and low-code environments. We're seeing RPA, robotic process automation, a number of industries that really are taking the technical out of it. You can actually be a software developer without any engineers. You can you know, be a data company without any data scientists with a lot of this technology. And you know, for an accounting firm or a digital agency, some of them are acquiring or getting acquired by technology companies to have that one-two punch. But many of them are just learning on the go and engaging and um, using this cloud technology to be able to drive business value. So in effect, you've got the SaaS ecosystem vendors, you've got born-in-the-cloud operators, you've got startups, presumably ISVs, software vendors are also moving into that space. You mentioned five in some of your articles. What's the fifth one? Yeah, so we've got the cloud ecosystem partners as number one. We've got these industry players like accountants and digital agencies as number two. We're seeing an influx of startups. So think of emerging tech. Internet of Things has tens of thousands, soon to be hundreds of thousands of vendors coming. And there's huge channels now built around AI, automation, blockchain, quantum computing, drone technology, self-driving cars. I mean, I could rip through 20 or 30 examples of, of channels built around emerging tech. They're quickly coming into the market and having broader technology conversations. Born in the cloud, which is different than traditional partners in that they don't resell. They do all of the technology services backend, the disaster recovery, the continuity, the implementations, integrations, but they don't resell. And this is kind of a newer born in the cloud. They they play in these opportunities. In many cases, you know, a, a customer will have five different partners through their journey. This is the partner that plays the adult in the room that makes sure nobody goes to jail or suffers a GDPR fine or, 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 or. And that's a big thing. We're seeing ISVs. So you mentioned ISVs. There's 175,000 ISVs today. 10 years ago, there was 10,000. 10 years from now, there'll be a million ISVs. What's interesting about them is they've always been looked at as technology alliance partners. Those ISVs adjacent to your company You can build kind of an ecosystem of alliances. Well, that's not the case anymore because many, many of these companies are getting VC, venture capital, or private equity funded. They've got millions of dollars. So 5,000 of them per year are getting millions of dollars each to build out sales and marketing armies. These sales and marketing armies are getting in front of the buyer early in the journey via digital content and physically as salespeople. And they've got the ability to co-sell and co-market with you at a level of scale. So this is an entirely new channel of 175,000 players. And for any vendor that I talk to, there might be hundreds or thousands of these players that could be very important, non-competitive, adjacent type of opportunities to get to the buyer. And that's... Very interesting. Yeah. The other one, kind of the sixth that I mentioned now is system integrators are making the move down market. You know, it used to be the Accentures and Deloitte's of the world hung out at Fortune 500 companies, but Accenture now has 450,000 employees. That's way bigger than IBM, biggest technology company in the world now by employee size. So they are very much 
involved in mid-market. They're involved in these new buyers. They're involved in all geographies around the world. They're involved in all the 297 sub-industries. They're involved in the sectors and the segment and the different size of customers and the 40 layers of the tech stack. If you multiply these vectors, I call them, if you multiply those together, that's 35 million opportunities in the marketplace. It's 35 million opportunities for partners to hyper-specialize to go into, for system integrators to hire a vice president against, and for software companies, ISVs, to build software towards. That's why there's going to be a million software companies to handle the 35 million permutations of where solutions need to be built. Okay, that's a serious change. What's the impact it's having on the traditional channel? Traditional channel, not to mention a demographic change to start it. I think the average owner principal across the 600,000 traditional channels is now 58 years old. Many of them started their company in the early 80s with IBM, later 80s with Compaq, early 90s with Microsoft, but that puts them later in their career. Their kids, by the way, the millennials and Generation Z behind them, or Z for our US friends, coming behind them are not interested in taking over mom and dad's business. They don't want to pull cables. They don't want to fix toner. They don't want to rip apart PCs and work on networks. They're flooding into being one of those 250,000 consultants that Salesforce needs at 75% margins. They see mom and dad making 17% now average margin. And yeah, maybe you can pay the mortgage and stuff like that. But other technology entrepreneurs are getting rich, doing some really interesting transformational work. And that seems to be where the next generation wants to go. So 40% of the entire channel is retiring in the next five years. What percentage? 40, 40. 40%. In how long? In the next five years. Wow. So we're not seeing a replacement. Yes, there's companies still flooding in, but there's no replacement here. We're going to lose a significant portion of the channel just based on demographics. There's other firmographic and technographic reasons as well for change. We're seeing a point of consolidation. There are four to five M&A activities a day that's happening out there. You're seeing managed services, for example, getting consolidated at the regional and more likely the national level, where a local managed service provider, which has an average, by the way, of eight people, 96% of MSPs don't ever scale past 10 but they have to do all the business, the finance, the operations, the HR at a local level. When you can consolidate that as a private equity company into a headquarters location and convert those eight people to be technicians, you lift the average margin above 17 because everybody's now deployable. And then second, you know, you get the economies of scale and there's an increasing consolidation. There's price compression because of it. When you used to be able to charge your customer, you know, $150 per person or per seat for managed services, now it's $113. There's a lot of things happening in the market. And as a technology entrepreneur, a lot of times you'll look left and you'll look right and, you know, you've always been resilient. So you're going to want to go to where the opportunity is if you have the capabilities of doing that. So as margins are being squeezed and that's the traditional channel is finding it increasingly difficult to attract young talent. How many of those do you reckon are going to survive? 
I think there's going to be a big number. I mean, there's still a trillion, multi-trillion dollar opportunity in technology. We're going to achieve $5 trillion in sales and 75% of the world gets sold through and with indirect channels. If we move our focus away from the actual transaction, I think we've been so for 37 years, we've been fixated on resale. And if we move our way, move ourselves away from that, look at the new buying journey. Everything is subscription today. So there is no end point to the journey. So the first 68% is a digital journey and the average customer brings in five partners. These are the webinars, the podcasts, these are the shows they go to. It's what they read, it's where they go, and it's who they follow. Vendors need to get obsessed over partners that influence buyers at that stage of the journey. You need to get obsessed about that 68% because they aren't today and they need to get there. Second, you get to the point of vendor selection and the transaction. Like I mentioned, 17% of those are going to go to a marketplace format. But I can see a time 10 years from now where 50% of transactions happen in a marketplace model. Could be an Amazon for business, Alibaba. It'll be big marketplaces wrapped around the app exchange at Salesforce, AWS, Google, Microsoft, Adobe, Oracle, SAP, IBM, Dell. Now I could rip through 20 super winners in this marketplace model, but that's that part of the journey. And partners won't transact, but they will actually get the customer to vendor selection. They might get the advantages of doing that via that vendor, but then they get the opportunity to go participate in the downstream opportunity, which never ends. It's subscription. How do you retain that customer, renew them, upsell them, cross-sell them, and then deliver the dozens of technology services that you end up making three, four times what the actual vendor did on the original sale of the product. Very interesting. Okay, well, my next question was, why has it evolved? But I think you've pretty much explained that in terms of the shift in power away from IT and into the line of business, increasing need for specialization, massive increase in the downstream revenue potential, and sky-high margins by comparison to what exists at the moment. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. You say that the size of the channel is going to explode, but not in the traditional sense. How can vendors capitalize on that and ensure, in historical conversations you and I have had, one of the things we've both discussed is how poor many vendors are at helping their partners to sell. Um, But we're not talking about the transactional side anymore. We're talking about the creating those relationships, really working at a strategic level. What do vendors need to concentrate on in order to build credibility, both with the shadow channel and with the end users, so that they are maximizing this opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll answer it with one word, is ecosystem. So in the traditional sense, you're always going to have, at least for the next 10 or 15 years, you're going to have your gold, silver, bronze tiered precious metal pyramid scheme that you've ran for decades. And that's not going to go away. There's always going to be a component of resale. Nothing that we ever predict happens at 100%. There's always going to be portions of the market that go different directions. However, of the 10,000 or so technology vendors who run channels today, 
And by the way, a third of those 175,000 software companies are starting to talk channel. I mean, that 10,000 number could become 50,000 just within the next few years as everyone becomes and builds these ecosystems. What vendors have to look at is what I call a parallel program. All the things you do on your gold, silver, bronze, and I counted and I published 90 different components to it. You've got to you know, find these partners and recruit them, onboard, educate, train, certify, incent, motivate, drive loyalty, co-sell, co-market. You've got to measure, manage, report. There's so many components to a traditional program. If I extract transacting away from that, the 90 things actually still exist. If I build in a partner who's a shadow channel, who's going to be part of my ecosystem, who's a non-transacting partner, mm-hmm. I still have to find them. I still have to appeal to them and recruit them. I still have to onboard them, get them to the point of being dangerous. I need to somehow incent them. It might mean non-monetarily, but there are other areas, co-selling, co-marketing. It's an area I want to spend some capital dollars. Even if they don't resell, I can attribute the deal to them and help them in that early part of the customer journey, make sure that the vendor selection goes my way. That's worth you know, some dollars to be spent in co-marketing, MDF, market development funds. So the 90 parts of the program are there still. They just change because they're not anchored to a transaction. So you just sold $1,000. Here's your 20% front-end margin. Here's the 3% back-end margin for volume rebates and new customer bonuses and SPIFs and MDF and co-op and all the other things we have. Now, there's nothing front-end because we do the transaction or it's done on a marketplace. And then the back-end is perhaps should still be there. It's not a volume rebate, but it should be geared towards co-selling and co-marketing exercises with these two new types of partners. And now you've got a parallel program that you've built and you've got this open tent where your ecosystem for many vendors today grows by at least 10x in the next couple of years and maybe 100x you know, in the next five to 10 years. How do you become a strong channel partner? So in a world of millions and millions and millions of competitors, in a world of a new buyer, you know, in a world that there are no RFPs and no procurement kind of rules anymore, unless you're in government or ultra large Fortune 500 business. In that type of world, it's all about hyper-specialization. We've gone to market for decades as being all things to all people all the time as partners. We get the benefit of Google and Facebook and other advertising engines supporting us as local business. If I type in a computer problem, Google's going to bring me up within five miles of my location, going to bring me in local players that rank higher than people are buying up the AdWords and and buying up SEO positions that might be 10 miles away. So, so far, we've been advantaged based on location and the tools that customers use to get the ability to get in front of a customer. But today, when I kind of went through those five vectors, when we ask these new buyers about their psychology, about their behavior. Tell us more about your journey. They tell us this. Listen, I am a vice president of marketing at a mid-sized healthcare clinic with 50 doctors in upstate New York in the US. And I'm trying to bring in new patients in the door. Those are my kind of five things. And 
here are the technologies that I'm looking at, thinking about, that I think I need to do to transform, to bring new patients in the door. That's what I'm going to type into Google. That's what I'm going to kind of start to talk to my peers about. That's what I'm going to start reading, where I'm going to go, the shows that really push that type of messaging. And I'm going to seek out super connectors. I'm going to seek out influencers, the people that are experts that have done this before and have that on their resume. So I'm going to build a team of five different companies in the room at once that are going to help me through all parts of my journey. They're going to help me decide because I've gone and looked at the marketing tech stack and it's 7,000 logos on it today. (laughs) No way I'm going to navigate 7,000 logos and figure out who does what. I need experts that know this, that have done maybe three other mid-sized clinics in the last six months in my region. They know the compliance, the legislation, they know the regulations. They kind of know all the ins and outs of it. They failed on other people's dime. They've learned on other people's nickel. I mean, these are people that are equipped to help me. I will not bring in a generalist, all things to all people all the time type of generalist. I'm going to bring in people that are laser focused on my problem. And I'm getting fired next week if I don't start bringing in new patients in the door. So I'm really excited about this. And I'm going to 29% of the time avoid IT because they're going to slow me down. I'm going to put out my departmental credit card for this solution. I'm going to buy on average seven different things in terms of software to do this. Now with emerging technology, I might even buy a HIPAA or high-tech compliant beacon hardware to do this as well. Whatever it is, whatever my stack looks like, I'm going to have these people help me, inform me, guide me, consult with me, help me to vendor selection. There's a 73% chance I'd like to do that on a marketplace as opposed to going and finding those seven vendors and putting down my credit card seven times. I would like to then get the help of these five companies and maybe even more to get this all plugged in and working. So by next week, I'm bringing in new patients. I don't get fired and life moves on. So as a partner, you ask yourself, how do I get in front of that buyer? Remember when I said there's 35 million buyers. I just went through a healthcare clinic, but I could go through 35 million other examples. You need to hyper-specialize. Go back and look at your last 10, 20, 50, 100 customers, whatever it is, and write down those five vectors. What buyer do we have expertise in selling to that love us? What industry, specifically what sub-industry? You know, it's okay to be a healthcare expert. It's much better to be a low ambulatory care, large dentist office, small hospital. I could go through the sub-industries that are more important to the customer. I'll always say that I'm a global company and I can do things globally, but in reality, where is the place that I'm really, really smart? I know the ins and outs of the healthcare market in New York. I know what's changing. I know Cuomo. I went to a party last night with the governor. No, I'm on the inside of this thing. That's my specialty. And that's what differentiates me. I mentioned 50 doctors in this clinic. This is my forte. I'm kind of in that range. I don't really do small dentist offices. I don't do hospitals. This is what I do for a living. And then the 40 layers of the tech stack, there's no partner today that covers all 40. You know, you're not going to be an MSSP, an MSP. You're not going to be covering all of the hardware, software. You're not going to be covering all of the infrastructure pieces. So, you know, really look at what your expertise is in and the layers that you can really drive. If it is MarTech, in this case, you're gonna fit into this model. If you could deliver all five of those things, you're gonna drive 80% share 
in the mid-sized clinic business within probably 200 miles. Today, customers are telling us, if I could find somebody with three of those things or two of those things, it'd even be better. So partners in the future are going to have to really not only hyper-specialize, figure out the multiple areas that they're strong. It's not just going to be in mid-sized clinics. You might have five other places. But then you're going to go declare that to your vendors. So it's going to be on their portal and on their partner finder that when a type customer types in that level of detail, you're going to pop up first on the partner finder. You're going to pop up first on Google when somebody you know, is looking for you. And then most importantly, downstream, you're going to pop up on page one of the marketplace. When I go into the app exchange or I go into Amazon for business or I go into the Microsoft marketplace, wherever I'm going as a customer and I type in my mid-sized clinic and what I'm trying to do, you know, they want to sell dynamics or they want to sell Salesforce or they're selling their stuff. But in the end, they're going to plug you in as well because you give them the best chance of success of installing it properly, implementing it and getting them the retention and renewals that they crave. So in their marketplace, they're going to drive you as a channel partner to be connected to that deal. And that's kind of the vision of the future for partners is you're going to win in the partner finders, you win on Google, you win in marketplaces, and you're going to start winning in word of mouth. So when I talked about what they read, where they go and who they follow, the blogs, the webinars, the podcasts, the trade show, all these things, they're going to start bringing you in as a speaker. Because you're their expert. You've done this before. You've got the resume and you're the one that can take them to success and not get them fired. This is the new model for partners. That makes a lot of sense. What I'm curious about is the shift then in terms of the sales capability. Because if I've understood you correctly, the shadow channel needs to evolve into problem solvers who are able to create demand early in the cycle because they're dealing at a strategic level. They're working on a continuous sales cycle and they're able to identify, simplify, and explain and organize complex processes. And they have to sell solutions that are going to keep that VP of marketing in the ambulatory walk-in clinic in his job, whilst also being able to manage complex relationships with a variety of vendors And the emphasis will be on land and expand rather than necessarily going out and hunting constantly for new business. Would that be a fair summary? It's a fair summary. I think the last thing I would add to that is being very familiar, open to, and an expert in what's P2P, partner to partner. But in this mode, I said that there's five partners. You may have in that marketing example at a mid-sized clinic, you may have an agency in there. There's high likelihood because that VP of marketing has worked with the agency for 30 years and that agency, there's a 78% chance that they're doing tech services. They'll want to get some of the creative work. They'll want to get some of the white glove service and concierge work that comes out of that opportunity. There's a high likelihood that there'll be a born in the cloud player in there. Because you've got some HIPAA and high tech, you can go to jail in the U.S. for some healthcare breakdowns from a privacy and personal information perspective. There's a likelihood that there could be cloud players in there. So as you start to get into the stack, whether it's a Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, HubSpot, Acton, there's going to be somebody from there, one of those partners in the room. There's going to be five people in there and you're going to be one of them, hopefully. 
and you're going to play well with others in the sandbox and you're going to divvy up the $4 and 14 cents among you. But in the future, those other four players, as they come across new deals, you're a team, you're a five part implementation team. It's almost like an Uber driver. Now you go in like in the gig economy, you go do your piece, you capture the piece of the deal and you end up working with similar type of people as you all go out and win new business. That's the P to P to P to P to P to P type right. of element. You've got my bladder going now. <laughs> so in effect, what you're talking about here is the long tail where the specialists club together. And instead of being a generalist with lots of average mediocre people, you've got people who are at the top of their game working together in concert to solve very specific targeted problems in very clearly defined, tightly defined niches. Absolutely. And much like customers don't like this idea of a middleman, you know, taking a margin for something that doesn't make sense for them to make margin and doing something like collecting money and, you know, putting up a single bill. They also don't like general contractors. In the past, an IT person would bring in a system integrator or somebody to play a general contractor role and allow them to bring in the five players and behind to do the different pieces. Mm-hmm. But customers are okay now because, like I said, 51% of their time is spent on tech. They're actually okay being the general contractor themselves and negotiating and working with the five-person team. They feel like they're one of the team members. They're actually engaged in their own transformation because, again, it's life-saving. It's, it's job-saving. And they want to be technology experts because that's the future of bringing patients in the door in a clinic or whatever industry you're in or whatever kind of buyer you are, it's a technology world. And uh, it's a teamwork type of thing that is necessary. Tell me this, what impact is this shift in the environment going to have on those very large vendors? Because from what you're describing, it sounds to me like while the SIs and vendors are trying to move into the mid-market, they don't necessarily have the flexibility And their business models seem to drive them towards staying with what made them successful in the past. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. In in my career, I spent a bunch of years at IBM, 17 years, which is in the top 10 of Fortune 500. Then I jumped into Lenovo when that acquisition happened. So I was number 499 on the Fortune 500. And then my next jump was to Autotask, which had 300 people. So I got to jump from different styles and, and different size of companies The one piece as they go down market that's not really understood is community marketing. And it's a piece that a couple days ago, I I wrote a big blog and showed a map of what it looks like and all the players. But when you sell to big business, there are large contracts, there's large agreements, there's big alliances that you have. Everything is, is set up. But the fact is, is all players have multiple people deployed on site at the customer and the sales cycle is remarkably different than selling to a clinic. What you understand as you go downstream is there's no home runs anymore. I'll use a baseball example. It's a bunch of singles. There is a a world where there are so many moving parts. And we're talking today, like millions of this and millions of that and 35 million of this. The permutations are beyond anything you can set up a linear process for. So you need to start influencing the influencers. You need to start building out programs that are automated and self-service. You don't want to talk to anyone because it's expensive. 
So you need to enable the channel at a scale without human intervention. You need to have processes like deal registrations and lead passing and stuff that don't have humans in the middle. You've got to kind of come rework your system. For smaller vendors, that's the way they had to build because they didn't have the resources. So they started this way because they knew that was the only way they'd survive. But bigger vendors start to apply some of their Fortune 500 processes to mid-market or SMB, they fail flat on their face because of scale. You won't have the people, you won't have all the gates, artificial gates that you put in, but there's a level of trust and obviously there's a level of technology that you need to implement to do this at a level of scale. And understanding that these one-to-one relationships go away, your channel account manager managing partner directly go away, and you're dealing in an ecosystem which is celestial. When the stars and moon align, you come in, you engage, you make things happen, you give everybody the stuff they need to be successful, you win the deal, you move on. Those stars and moon may never align again. But a minute later, there's another alignment. And you're working really fast in terms of making sure that you're covering all of these possibilities, the permutations inside these millions of things. I spend probably most of my day helping large vendors come to grips with this and what it might be like to have millions of things happening. Okay. Tell me this then. In terms of how the Shadow Channel and the vendors can best prepare to go into the end user and work collaboratively, so partner with partner, what tips can you give so that they are operating as a with one voice, as a cohesive team? It's probably one of the difficult things because this industry is more federated and decentralized than any other. This is why that there are 54 magazines and 150 trade shows and dozens of associations. There's no umbrella organization that brings everybody together. Vendors who attempt to try to bring these millions of things together in one place end up failing because it just doesn't happen that way. But when it wraps around a deal, when it wraps around an opportunity, there needs to be a technology layer of collaboration and Some vendors try to use their CRM system or their PRM system, partner relationship management system. But there's a layer now that's really coming in, which is a a communication and collaboration layer that allows these five people in the room and perhaps the seven software companies and the other players all to come in and not reinvent the wheel. There's no time to have internal meetings and meetings to plan what you're going to do in the next meeting when you're dealing in you know, a mid-sized clinic. So I think we're at the early stages, but I'm starting to see some companies and, and some funding come through in terms of tools that bring alliances together, bring affiliates, advocates, bring these, the ability to attribute things together at scale. And uh, we can talk maybe on another conversation about you know, who some of these companies are and what some of this exciting stuff is that, that brings these know, stars and moons together to work a deal and progress a deal properly using hopefully, you know, Sandler methodology and and what they've been trained on. That then me to my final question, which is in terms of the role of the traditional channel manager, what I've seen over the years is the best spend 80% of their time in the businesses of their partners helping them to work out how they're going to help them achieve their goals and objectives, 
meet their revenue targets, coaching, training, developing. And what's going to happen in terms of the evolution of the channel manager's role? Well, I think there's a bifurcation, much like I said that there was a parallel program. You know, you have your gold, silver, bronze on one side and you have your ecosystem on the other side. I think the bifurcation happens where those channel managers, and they're hard to come by. And if you have them, you have to keep them you know, motivated and, and hopefully keep them employed with you. Because the best ones that I've seen around the world, the partners give them a cubicle. They become one of the team. And they're in planning sessions. They get to walk in on executive think tanks. Like they're part of the fabric of the partner. And that's fantastic. When you find these people and you know, you've got to hire them, you've got to keep them. The second thing, though, is trying to struggle with having cams that have 50 accounts or 75 accounts. Like, how do you handle the SMB or the unwashed masses? What I'm saying over here is it's really an influencing the influencers. Again, a couple of days ago, I wrote a big piece on those channel managers are actually going to become community managers. They're going to want to know for their group of partners. Again, I have a, if I manage a group of partners that services mid-sized clinics across the U.S., I'm going to get into that market. I'm going to understand what they read, the media, the podcast, the webinars. I'm going to understand where they go and I'm going to be there, you know, in terms of trade shows. I'm going to go and look at the 100 top super connectors in that space, the people who are doing the keynotes and hosting the podcasts. And these are the Marcuses of the world. I need to know who these top people are. (laughs) And as Cam, I'm less involved now in the day to day business planning QBR because I have so many accounts. I'm more interested in driving the community, adding value to the community, raising the level of education and knowledge that that you talked about, being a good go-giver in terms of um, driving more partnerships. And I'd like to take my 50 or 75 partners to 750. I want every partner that calls on a mid-sized clinic anywhere within my country or region to be one of my partners. And I'm going to do this at a scale by influencing the influencers. And I'm going to do that as a community manager, not as a channel account manager. Okay, that's very interesting because that kind of conflicts with some of the messages that we're putting out, which is that you need to build a special forces unit rather than a land army. My question to here then is how do you manage such a volume without the wheels falling off if you're going to become a community manager? Well, you do have your special forces units on your 80-20, the 20% of partners that drive 80% of your revenue, special forces. To build the ecosystem, you're going to have community managers. You're going to have technology that does everything at scale. Everything, every process, every workflow, everything that is human related in that new world is going to be rewritten as a digital process. It's going to be self-service. It's going to be automated. Have you come across HubDo? No. Hubdo, it operates as a value-added distributor. So they're working on the basis of a two-tier channel model where the vendor works with a handful of special forces partners and then the value-added distributor acts as the community manager for the masses in order to enable them and to provide them with the resources, technology, all that kind of stuff. Can you see that two-tier model working? Absolutely. That's part of that, you know, collaboration and, you know, specialization that I talked about can be driven in that model. Excellent. Okay, Jay, we're coming to time. So thank you ever so much. This has been incredibly insightful. Can't wait to have the next conversation with your partner experience. So 
I'll let you go. But uh, do you have any final words? No, I always enjoy my uh, conversations with you. I enjoy the work you do around the world and as one of the super connectors. And, you know, your name gets mentioned almost on the daily around my world. So keep Thank doing you. it. Thank you. So, Jay McBain, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is Marcus Kauke from the Inquisitor Podcast signing off. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, then email me at mkauke at sandler.com with podcast guest in the subject line. And if you can recommend people to be guests on the podcast, I'd be delighted. Thank you all. Happy signing.